Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Seven questions just to ponder and reflect on. Some will be more relevant than others. Question number one, on a scale of one to ten, where ten's death or the end of the world, where is it? Because sometimes you find that you thought it was a eight or a nine, it's probably only a one or a two. Number two, how important will this be in six months' time? Number three, is my response appropriate and effective? In other words, is it getting me the outcomes I want? If it's not, maybe I need to think about changing my response. Number four, how can I influence or improve the situation? Number five, what can I learn from this? Number six, what would I do differently next time? And number seven, what can I find that's positive in this situation? Let me just give you one brief story about number seven. What can I find that's positive in this situation? Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. Sometimes what you need to survive and thrive in challenging times is age-old wisdom. And my guest this week is full of it. Paul McGee, speaker and Sunday Times bestselling author, has sold over a quarter of a million books and spoken in more than 40 countries to date. He's an expert in things like dealing with change, developing relationships, creating opportunities and performing under pressure. His work has been endorsed by the likes of Sir Clive Woodward and his clients have included the most dominant football team in England of recent years, Manchester City. His book is called Sumo, which stands for Shut Up and Move On. And we talk about the key lessons he's distilled in there from seeing other people's perspective to spotting and creating opportunities. It was a pleasure talking to Paul 
and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Mr. McGee. Paul, how are you? Do you know what, Simon? I am I am great. I'm also relieved because believe it or not, I had contact with you. I sent you a copy of my book. It's two years ago. And I'm just thrilled that we finally get to be uh, having this kind of conversation. So, yeah, two years in the pipeline this has been. So it's good. Good things come to those who wait, Paul. <laughs> Never a true word said. Listen, I love the book and we're going to dig into it. And I think it says it all. So it released in 2005 and it's still selling like hotcakes 15, well, what are we now? 17 years 17. later, which is very rare, isn't it, for a book? And my mum came round. I mentioned this to you, picked it up when I was reading through it. And she said, she just flicked through it. And she said, I like this. I want to borrow it after you've used it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised it's done so well. But were you surprised? I, well, I, want, I need to send you more of a signed copy, don't I? Get you in her <laughs> good it. books. Um, was I surprised, Simon? I'm I'm known as the sumo guy, and I'd been, you know, it became this umbrella term to describe a number of my ideas that I had, like a a smogger's board of different ideas and principles. And this became the umbrella term that you know the sumo shut up and move on. And um, so when I was speaking to audiences and started to weave in some of this stuff, they were very very receptive, and I thought this is landing well. And then people would sometimes say, I really love the phrase sumo, shut up and move on. Although to be fair, when I did try and get it published, 13 publishers rejected it. And one of them said, no one is going to buy a book that's telling him to shut up and move on. But um, I knew there was an audience there and that was receptive. And even though to begin with, there were some publishers who were a little bit reticent. When that book came out, the amount of people who said, oh, I can't wait, I want to buy this from a partner, I want to get this for my, you know, for some of my team at work. And um, I suppose what I didn't realise, because when the book came out in 05, the publisher said, right, if this does well, it will be still out there in 18 months time. We still think it's got that kind of like shelf life. So for it to be 17 years down the line, I think that has taken everybody by surprise. Yeah, I think it's an incredible achievement to have a book that does have that staying power. And like I said, I think the fact that it is full of essentially timeless wisdom is part of its unique charm. And I want to dive straight into the lessons and the nuggets that you share in there, Paul. But I'm going to switch the order. I want to keep you on your toes. I think the most sensible place to start is with the beach ball. And actually, just to give a bit of a background when you and I chatted via Skype you actually whipped out your beach ball and that's not a metaphor or anything like that you actually whipped out your beach ball uh, which is really helpful to have a prop it's a family show it is yeah I use props a lot actually yeah boxing gloves beach balls all sorts so you're I want you listener just to imagine that you're in a large room and you're at one end of the room and that you've maybe got a friend at the other end but in the middle between you is this huge multicolored beach ball. And um, it's so large, you can only see, you know, three, maybe say there's three colors on your side and those are the three colors you see. And let's say uh, you, the, your friend says, so what color is the beach ball? And I might say it's blue, white and green. And they go, no, it's not. Because actually from their perspective, although they're looking at the same beach ball, they've got a different perspective to it. They're seeing red, yellow and orange. And one of the things I was trying to just help people to understand in a very visual way 
is, look, we see the world in a certain way based on our background, our age, our experiences, our values, our personality, sexuality, financial status, health, etc. And the thing is, we can assume that because we see things in a certain way and we're looking at a certain situation from our perspective, that that's how other people see it. And part of what I'm saying is, shut up thinking that your perspective is the only perspective there is and move on in a sense turn the beach ball around to try and see where other people are coming from and that doesn't always mean you're going to agree with their perspective but at least try and understand it because we live in such a polar polarized society where it's black and white thinking and all or nothing thinking and I'm just wanting to say let's just take some time out I mean we talk about you know, a lot of organizations I work with now, I mean, they hire me to talk about change, resilience and leadership. But there's also that on that agenda of diversity and inclusion. And I was working with an organization this morning. And one of the things I was saying when I was showing them the beach ball is, look, diversity for me, and I hope this doesn't sound too controversial. It's not simply, although it is about ethnicity and gender, but it is also about neurodiversity, people who might actually look very similar, but they think very differently. And I think it's crucial that we surround ourselves with people. We get out of that echo chamber and we have people who, who actually sometimes have a different perspective to the beach ball than we do. Let me tell you, I'm married to someone who's like that. Helen and I have been married nearly 35 years. Is it always easy when someone sees things differently to you? No, it's not. But is it ultimately healthy and beneficial? I believe it is. And of course, if you turn the beach ball around in a certain way, then you all you see all six colours at the same time. So that's a bit about what I meant by the beach ball. Yeah, and I think it's a lovely way of being able to picture what is such a salient problem right now. Because you wrote this back in 2005. As you alluded to, it's become far more polarised since then. And, you know, the shades of grey are rarely embraced. Sure. They would say there's only three colours to the beach ball and I've got the truth and you haven't. And that is not a way in which society is going to grow and thrive and flourish. We're seemingly in a world where we encourage free speech. It seems to be like we're trying to close down speech and no one seems to have that what I might call compassionate curiosity. Help me understand why you see things the way you do. Uh, and it's all about, you know, fight or flight kind of primitive emotional behaviors very often now especially on social media yeah i mean it's ego as well isn't it because if you're making someone else wrong you are by definition right yeah and that's an ego inflating process to go through and, and, and it can make you feel i just to interrupt i mean it does actually when that happens it can increase your levels of serotonin in your brain and in fact you start to feel a little bit superior the challenge when you do things like that though and you have this so-called feeling of superiority you feel you've achieved something but i know you haven't you've just put somebody down and made yourself look better than them you're not contributing anything in life whatsoever what's that about shut up and move on yeah do you know what little put my hand up here so uh many years ago the bbc put out this instruction about not expressing personal opinion you know on contentious subjects on social media in hindsight it was the best possible thing that could happen because it then became a habit and now i never get involved in any of these things i'll only ever put things that i think add value i will never get involved in the tittle tattle because it, it's a complete waste of time and my least favorite phrase the red flag on social media is when someone says if you think 
slash act slash do slash believe X, whatever X may be, then you're part of the problem. Such a common phrase. I can't stand it because A, it's got that sneering condescension. And really, they're just saying, I'm the solution. Totally. I'm part of the solution. It's like, see that blooming beach ball? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on then. We'll be revisiting the beach ball perhaps a little later. But before we do that, in terms of the next sort of sumo philosophy or approach or outlook, I just think is the simple one. Not the simple one, sorry. The first one that is so simple, but is so easy not to appreciate. And that's your formula for life. So why don't you explain mm. what this is? Yeah, the formula for life is E plus I plus O. And it was events plus my response or reaction influences the outcome. And what I've realized in life, Simon, is that for many years, I've realized without knowing it, I'd live by an alternative definition or formula, which is E equals O. So if that's the event, you know what the outcome is going to be. If we're going through loads of change at work, you know what the outcome is going to be. If you send me an email that I don't like, well, you know what the outcome is going to be. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. It is the event, but it's also how I respond or react to it that also influences our outcome. So I had a, a relative who lives in Australia, sent me an email and I was angry and emotional and wanting to throttle him. And I remember thinking, if I send the response I want to, then our outcome will probably be we're no longer speaking. And then people will go, how come you two are no longer speaking? And I would say, you should have seen the email he sent me when actually a more accurate, honest answer would have been, you should have seen the email he sent me And my reply, my response or my reaction, in other words, we're in this equation. And it's that taking some ownership and and realise two people, two families, two companies, two teams can have the same event, but they can end up with a different outcome. Why why is that? Because it's not just the event. It's like organisations navigating through the pandemic. Some have grown, thrived and flourished. And some have just kind of like, well, understandably, there's been affected by different things. But, you know, the hospitality industry, for some people, it was like roll over and die. I was speaking at an organization yesterday and I got talking to the caterers and they just went, no, 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 we survived. We survived. Why did they survive? Because they adapted. They started doing lots of takeaway things. They started delivering things to people, not as buffets, but in pizza boxes. And it was always about how do I adapt to change? Others have said, I went out of business because of the pandemic. Maybe that was legitimate. But sometimes maybe we went out of business, not because because of the pandemic, but because of how I reacted or responded. That also influences the outcome. And Simon, for me, understanding that people aren't making me angry or upset, or it's not just the event, it's how I interpret it, that therefore influences my response or reaction. And I find it very, very empowering. Sometimes a challenge Because I do want to put the victim T-shirt on and blame someone else and go, it's all about the event where I got the outcome. But no, it's the event plus my response or reaction that influences the outcome. Well, events in and of themselves are inherently neutral. You create the outcomes, the feelings, the emotions, largely that you will experience rather than whatever's happening on the outside, even though it may seem different to that. So that's another Beauty from you, Paul. Let's move on to another one, which I think is particularly salient at this point in time, which was a bit of ahead of its time, I imagine, in 
in 2005, at least to some degree. And I'm talking about hippo time. 2005, things were certainly speeding up at that point, but we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have social media. And I think smartphones in, in particular, these sort of digital appendages, the vast majority of people get sucked into this easy distraction. But what that does is it, it stimulates us. And so I just thought your hippo time is extra valuable in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, when people say, well, what is hippo time? I mean, part of it is when I was writing the book, someone, a great friend of mine, Paul Sanham, looked at it and said, there's something missing from this book. He said, I'm not sure what it is, but you've got to help people understand that sometimes setbacks happen and that's you sometimes to feel a bit mad, bad or sad about stuff is okay. And I was chatting to somebody who was a big rugby league fan at the time and his team Leeds Rhinos had got to the grand final at Old Trafford and had lost. He was telling me all about this and he said to me, and when I got home, you know when you want to have just a right old wallow? And I'm like, and it was almost like the, the scales fell off my eyes and I'm like, Wallow. And I remember saying to him, Steve, we're actually talking at a in a hotel. We were at a conference together. I went, and he chatted briefly. And I went, Steve, do you mind? I just need to just go back to my room. It's got a da- you've just triggered some thoughts. And I suddenly thought about this word wallow. And we do need to have a wallow. Um not in self-pity, but we need to sort of like sometimes, you know, digest our disappointment, process our pain, digest uh sit with our sadness. Well, we need to feel our feelings. Exactly. And that's actually valid and rather than pretend to be positive. And I just came up with this idea that because clearly, again, you hear the umbrella term sumo should up move on. You don't read the book and you think it's quite aggressive. But I said it's like a an umbrella term to describe a set of tip, tools and principles. And you don't cut the hedge with a lawnmower. So you can have a good tool, but it's not always appropriate. And sometimes you need to say at the moment. I'm having a bit of hippo time. If your team's in the Champions League semi-final, whenever this goes out, and you're winning 1-0 in uh, away in Madrid with two minutes to go, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're out of, you're out of the Champions League, you have a bit of hippo time. You're playing in Wimbledon and you're two sets up and you lose three to you know, three sets to two, you're in your hippo time. You're in a relationship you thought was going somewhere, now it's going nowhere. You have your hippo time. It's like, it's okay to not always feel okay, to feel mad, bad, sad. And I wanted to legitimise that for people. And a lot of motivational type speakers used to say to me, but you've got to encourage people to be happy and positive all the time. And I said, I don't actually, that's not where I come from. And people need to... Sometimes not necessarily be overwhelmed by those emotions, but at least acknowledge and accept that's how they're actually feeling at times. And um, I sometimes, sometimes get people heads up when I say this. I'm working with the NHS and I'll look at this audience of nurses or doctors or psychiatrists who I've worked with recently. And I'll go, just so you know, I don't think the NHS is full of heroes. Big pause. And then I go, I think it's full of humans who do heroic things. Because when you label people as a hero, it's just like you're almost like you're different. It's like stuff that affects normal people doesn't affect you. No, we've all got our boundaries. We've all got our frailties. Um, We we all have our, you know, just certain things you just need to realize. I've got my limitations here. And it's okay to sometimes go, I just need to have a bit of a wallow. Not, I emphasize, in self-pity. But I just need to actually engage and accept those emotions and process them rather than suppress them and pretend they haven't happened. The neuroscience has caught up on this and the evidence has come out about why actually this can be very healthy for people. It's okay 
to sometimes not be okay. A phrase which I've been using for over 20 years. And now I think the Samaritans have used it to promote their work as well. I didn't come up with it originally. I'm fairly certain of that. I probably came across it from someone else. But when I started to use that phrase 20 odd years ago, people were looking at me like I was a bit weird. But now we're now seeing it because I've obviously I was speaking about sumo well before I wrote about it is that, yeah, OK, this is valid. We are humans. We're not robots. We're not machines. We are humans. So let's acknowledge our humanity. Absolutely. And like you say, no one was saying it's OK not to be OK when you wrote this. And now it's everywhere. And actually, I've had various conversations about moving that on in terms of it's okay to do the work to be okay. And that can come in many forms. 100%. One of which is just quite yeah. simply sitting with ourselves and sitting with our feelings. But can I also interject, because you've made a point and you've done it on your socials, which is important because you've built on the hippo time, which is what I want to emphasize. Yes, it is okay to not always feel okay, but it's not you don't stay there. It, it's this, and it's also okay to look at how we can become more okay, if that makes sense. In other words, for me, hippo time, it's a detour. It, it's not a destination. Someone say, well, okay, it's just part of the path. It's part of the process and the journey. It is. But the key thing is, it isn't our destination. And I think some people like hippo time, embrace it, but then get stuck in the mud. And they end up wallowing with their hippo buddies. And I would say, ain't healthy folks it ain't healthy so yeah i think you make a really important point there which leads us as well onto your choose your t-shirt change your t-shirt change your t-shirt specifically the victim t-shirt and i think this is again particularly powerful because i've been at times in my life like that and i think actually probably most of us go through periods like that of, of thinking oh this shouldn't be happening why me but actually, it's it's about recognising that, you no, know, who's responsible? We are. Yeah, abs- I mean, again, I wanted to use this visual metaphor. And I and I write as someone or and talk about that as someone who has definitely worn the T-shirt. I mean, I'd had four different father figures by the age of nine and ran away from home at the age of 10. Now, the thing is, if I'm not careful and I'm now in my late 50s, but I could use my childhood as a constant excuse and reason for where I'm at in life now. So I always emphasize, and I think it's hugely important to do so, that there are genuine victims in life. So I, I think that's important that we acknowledge that. But I think it's also... But you important. say about survivors, though. Oh, sorry, am I interrupting? You're about to go on. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And I actually worked with someone at an event where basically, and I mean, talk about... Um, hope we can, you know, trigger warning here. We're going to talk about something around sexual abuse. But I was the motivational speaker at a conference. And I said, I was being briefed by the client. And they said, um, so um, I said, what's the rest of the program looking like? And they said, well, um, we've got this woman who's been a survivor, a sex abuse survivor from situation that happened in, in well, in a certain part of the UK. Uh, and she's going to be talking about how she overcame that and how she was groomed and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, whoa. And then you got me, the motivational speaker. They went, well, we do have a break in between her finishing and you speaking. And I went, I said, I think I need to speak to this woman if that's okay. And they said, yeah, why would that be? I said, well, I talk about a victim T-shirt, but she has been a genuine victim. And I really just want to run this by her. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. She, They, I, they were absolutely fine. They put me in touch with this uh, young woman. And um, and she, and I said, look, I share this thing about victim T-shirt. And I said, as a genuine victim, she goes, Paul, let me stop you. It's okay. Show the T-shirt. Because she said, I don't see myself as a victim. I was a victim, 
but now I see myself as a survivor because your identity is massively important. A change of, you know, a change of identity can lead to a change in behavior. And she said, ultimately, I'm trying to help other people who've been victims to start seeing themselves as survivors and ultimately as thrivers. And she said, you show your, you share your T-shirt. It's absolutely fine. I'm not in any way offended by it because actually I agree totally with you. And, and again, if I could just do a, a rather dramatic story on this, if this is okay. 1993, mothering, the Saturday before Mothering Sunday, I'm in Warrington with my wife. We're getting some stuff for our mums. And basically, that was the day the Warrington bomb blew up and two young children were killed. My wife went past the bin that blew up half an hour beforehand and she was eight months pregnant. One of the, one of the families that lost their son was uh, Colin and Wendy Parry. And if ever you could give someone the label of, well, they have been a victim, then that would be them. Do you know what? I've had a chance to meet, well, Colin in particular. And again, they were a perfect example of, we're not going to wear the T-shirt. And they've done some remarkable things. Uh, and again, it links into, it's not just simply the event. It's how you respond that influences your outcome. And let's be honest, there are some people in life, their response to anything that happens is, Pass me my yellow T-shirt because I've got this victim T-shirt that's yellow. I'm going to be the victim. I'm going to blame everybody else. And then when I don't get great outcomes, nothing to do with me. It's all to do with the government, my upbringing, my boss, my family, my friends. But they don't look at themselves in the mirror. And I know it's a tough message. But, I, you know, I, my whole purpose, raison d'etre, is how do I get the best out of myself? How do I get the best out of others? How do I get the best out of life? Wearing a victim T-shirt will not help you do that. Absolutely. Right. Next, the opposite, if you like, or certainly at odds with wearing the so-called victim T-shirt is what you talk about in terms of uh, learning Latin. And uh, you're going to have to elaborate on what that is. But I want to tell a story that stuck out from, from your book first, which was when you were sort of starting out in the game that you were in. And it was about getting on the phone and, and cold calling. and procrastination which is something all of us can resonate with to varying degrees I certainly can and you would find excuses as to why you you couldn't do that and then um, the philosophy of Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society and Del Boy from um, Only Fools and Horses inspired you to change your ways which was Carpe Diem from Robin and He Who Dares Rodney from Del Boy and yeah it's that um, just starting creating things for yourself and you know i know you know we've had various chats including before we started it this is something that you've over time become particularly good at but creating opportunities as opposed to waiting for things yeah i think it yeah i mean the whole thing about learn latin you know that carpe diem sees the day and it was it was so we're talking about the story goes back to the 1990s uh, probably in the mid-1990s. And there was a dream opportunity for me to maybe work with an organisation based in America, but wanting to use presenters based in the UK to deliver their seminars. And as I'm looking through the application, it says, uh, method of application, please apply by sending in a one-hour video of yourself, speaking ideally in front of 50 to 100 people. If you don't possess such a video, you're probably not ready to join us yet. And I was gutted because I did run workshops, mainly for like a dozen people. I was doing a lot of work in outplacement 
with people who made redundant from British coal, saw this as my dream opportunity. I thought this is made for me, but I don't have, you know, this is before YouTube and, you know, short, you might be able to film things on your, on your phone. And I didn't have anything that they wanted. And I just, I put, I put the application and the, all the details about the job in the bin. But then as I sat back, probably having a little bit of hippo time, just staring at my wall, and I'd literally just got on a piece of handwritten card. I'd got this, who dares wins and carpe diem sees the day, was stuck on my wall. I remember looking at the bin, looking at the wall, looking at the bin, looking at the wall, and thought, you know what? Flipping heck. It's a dream opportunity. Let's go for it. I took the stuff out of the bin, reread it. It still said, please apply by sending a one-hour video of yourself speaking. But then there was a word I noticed. I hadn't noticed before because now I'm looking for a reason to apply rather than reason not to. And it said, please send a one-hour video of yourself speaking ideally in front of 50 to 100 people. I remember thinking, Paul, you don't live in an ideal world. Carpe diem sees the day. What can you do? I had a friend who ran a solicitor's practice. I contacted her and said, can I run a free one-hour training session for you, for some of your staff? Uh, as long as Helen, my wife, films it, would that be okay? She said, that would be absolutely fine. Bit of free training for us as long as you fit. Yeah, no problem. And I said, can I bring a couple of uh, friends along as well? They went, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's room even up in the big, in the boardroom. And I sent, I did this one hour video, sent it to the organization uh, and said, look, it's it's not in front of 5,200 people, but here we go. Carpe diem, seize the day. And they became my biggest client. And, and life, I believe, doesn't reward people who've just got good ideas and good intentions life rewards people who take action carpe diem seize the day that's the latin phrase i think we sometimes need to apply in our lives 100 percent. and i remember when i was at the bbc and you know i got the job at radio one and was like i got my dream job and and then after a few years you know i started feeling a sense of sort of let's say a lack of entire fulfillment and big organization, obviously the BBC and anyone who works in a big organization knows that getting ahead sometimes can be quite difficult. There's, and I actually never really applied for any jobs during that time. I had this sense of, I knew that I wanted to make a bit of a shift. And it was only really when I had a, what I describe as a burn the boats attitude. And do you know what I mean by that? I do indeed. Yeah. 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 The guy who went with a load of sailors to, uh, undiscovered island and was like right we've got to make a success of this and we're going to do that by burning the boat so we can't get off the island so it's it's basically live or die so i had a bit of an attitude not quite as extreme as that where i was like okay i'm going to make stuff happen and you know, i just went straight to the to the big bosses and and really bypassed the normal way of doing things and as a result all these things happened and you know a bit like when you had your procrastination moment with the cold calling when i was getting in touch with these people Often I'd have thoughts along the lines of, you know, they don't want to hear from you. You're harassing them, et cetera, et cetera. But I just plowed on. I was like, sod it. And it's led me in some fascinating direction. So I think this carpe diem, make things happen, get on the front foot. And actually my advice to young people with this is always the simplest way to do this is to speak to people or get in front of people as opposed to writing an email or sending a text because we live in this time of digital communication and people just will send an email or whatever but if you can speak to someone and get that connection you'll be surprised at what you can make happen i i, I mean a couple of things to say and again it's just inspiring to hear what you, you what you've adopted as your sort of philosophy i think sometimes 
Um, patience doesn't automatically mean being passive. So you can, you know, and and you can be patient, but you're still being proactive. And um, I think I think you know, there's Chris Evans and various other people who how did they how did they get their big career? They were like a runner with you know Piccadilly radio station back in the eighties. They got in front of people, and I use a phrase which is in a world of iPhones and iPads, never underestimate the impact and importance of eyeballs. Great. And if we're not careful, we get we get we get you know we just hide behind a text message or an, or an email. And I'm like, just as you say, sometimes it's like, well, well, let's just see people. I mean, although it doesn't always work, one of the biggest publishers in the UK of kind of like personal development books, when they were the ones that went, no one's going to buy a book, let's tell them to shut up and move on. But I did actually convince her that I could take, should take her out for coffee, sell this, you know, I want to get Sue into schools. I want to de- develop it as a brand. And I was so passionate about it. But in the end, she still refused. But at least I, I tried to push things a little bit more. And then it was one other uh, publisher and I'd almost thought about quitting. And I and I contacted them. And um, Paul Merson, remember the former Arsenal player? He played for Aston Villa as well. Of course, he's been on the pod. Yeah, you know, very insightful, particularly and very honest about his own gambling addictions. But um, believe it or not, I contacted Paul. This was back in the early 2000s. And I sent him a copy of a book that I'd just written. I said, any chance you might endorse it? And he did. So four years later on, I'm trying to pitch Sumo to a publisher. I've had all these rejections. And one publisher, the guy who was making the decisions was a big Aston Villa fan. And Paul Merson was one of his heroes. So when I sent him an old copy, a copy of one of my earlier books, he went, Anyone who's who's got Paul Merson to endorse one of his books, I'm, I'm prepared to meet and discuss. And we met in London. We did the eyeball stuff, not iPhones and iPads, although to be fair, we didn't have those at that time. Um, and we did the eyeballs. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take a punt on this. This is risky for us as a publisher, but we are, we're trying to be a bit quirky. And I love the whole, you know, sumo wrestler on a unicycle. He said, I think that would look great on a front cover. And he took a risk and you are dead right. He pushed doors. Not all of them are open, but you only need one to open sometimes for you. That's enough. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And he took a risk and you are dead right. He pushed doors. Not all of them are open, but you only need one to open sometimes for you. That's enough. Absolutely. 
couple of things. Paul Merson, what a lovely bloke. And that just emphasizes that. And I just love how serendipitous stuff can happen when you do push. And I found this in my own life very much so when you push and you think it's in one direction things might take you off in another direction but it's the pushing that's it's, that's important yes. but as well you said about you know you got rejected you took out that time and that reminded me you know I spoke to Barry Hearn recently and obviously he's well yep. known for doing massive deals and stuff but he said he would close about one in 40 and so that's 39 times out of 40 he's getting rejected but obviously people don't hear about that but rejection isn't a bad thing. You never know when a break might come. It's a stepping stone, isn't it? What, what I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a bit cliche, but some people say, you know, you hear the word no, N-O just means next opportunity. And I think sometimes, again, where we, and I think this is around young people, we're lacking in resilience because we don't realise it's a game of snakes and ladders and there are snakes on the board. And the only way you're going to avoid snakes is don't play the game. But if you want to play the game and hope to win, I have to use that metaphor, then you might land on a snake. But guess what? It's not the end of the game. Look for the ladders. And um, that's what I've learned in life. I've had a lot of rejections, a lot of different ways. But you get some successes as well. I mean, I've sent some of my books to various people. Clive Woodward was sent a copy of my book. And as a result of that, I did some work with him. Stuart Lancaster got my book. But there were plenty of other people I sent my sumo book to and never heard from. Hey ho, but one or two doors, one or two doors, that's often all that you need. And then that can lead to something else. Absolutely. I mean, here you are two years later, massive break for you. So, you know, absolutely. Now, everyone's going, hang on, two years later, just to remind people, it was two years since I first contacted Simon and sent him a copy of my book. There we go. And here we are. So it says it all. Right. Let's move then on to fruity thinking to start with. This is a really interesting one, and, and it's certainly very important. And I think it's worth reminding of the beach ball here, because I do think we have a slightly different view of things. And that's not to say either are, are wrong at all. Um, but do you want to talk a little bit about fruity thinking? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, um, and I'm, I know we can sometimes see things differently, but I think we might end up agreeing more than you realise. But so... I, one one branch of psychology that can be helpful for people, and it's not one tool, there's lots of tools, but one tool in particular that's been helpful has been CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. And um, I asked this question in the book, you know, besides God, if you believe in God, who's perhaps the most important person we're going to talk to? And the answer is actually yourself. And I have this little model. Again, it's a simplified model. I don't want to get too into, you know, well, what about this? What about that? I call it the TIA model or the TIA process. My thinking, which what I'm thinking about can affect how I'm feeling or my emotions, the E, so T, thinking, E, emotions. My thinking and emotions can influence the A, my actions, and my actions, whatever they are, whether I decide to do something or not do something, but those actions will ultimately bring about some results. So T, thinking, emotion, action, results. And talk about that in my book for children as well, helping to understand the connection between their outcomes in life, their results, but also their mindset and how they think about themselves, about life, the potential. I talk in the book about four types of faulty thinking. The inner critic highlights your weaknesses, undermines your confidence. The broken record, you get stuck in a certain narrative and story. Oh, and by the way, just as an aside, we banned smoking in enclosed public spaces in England and Wales in 2007 because of the medical evidence around passive smoking. I think sometimes we need to be aware of the effects of passive moaning 
In other words, sometimes we're not the ones that are the broken record. It's the people around us, but they cause a bit of psychological pollution. She got inner critic, broken record, the martyr, the one who wears the victim T-shirt. And people who play Trivial Pursuits and make a mountain out of a molehill. And rather than just say to people, stop, don't think like that, be positive. I said, no, we need to develop some fruity thinking. We need to ask the question, the YBH question. Yes, but how? How can I be, how can I shut up or at least turn down the volume of my inner critic and listen more to my inner coach? How can I change the record, change my t-shirt and quit playing Trivial Pursuits? So I came up with seven questions to help you sumo. So again, just maybe as you're listening, you might want to think about an issue or challenge going in your world at the moment. Not a tragedy, but an issue or challenge in your personal life or in your work. Seven questions just to ponder and reflect on. Some will be more relevant than others. Question number one, on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is death or the end of the world, where is it? Because sometimes you find that you thought it was an eight or a nine, it's probably only a one or a two. Number two, how important will this be in six months time? Number three, is my response appropriate and effective? In other words, is it getting me the outcomes I want? If it's not, maybe I need to think about changing my response. Number four, how can I influence or improve the situation? Number five, what can I learn from this? Number six, what would I do differently next time? And number seven, what can I find that's positive in this situation? Let me just give you one brief story about number seven. What can I find that's positive in this situation? Um, a few years ago, bank holiday weekend on Friday afternoon, I've been doing an event in Surrey. I'm driving home. I'm on the M25. I left my event at 3.30. It's now 6.30. Three hours, I've done 30 miles. I want to have a pity party, but I asked myself the question, oh, flipping it. Okay, what can you find that's positive in this situation? And I remember thinking, Paul, when you were ill with ME many years ago with chronic fatigue syndrome, you couldn't drive. You didn't know whether you'd ever work again or whether you'd be well enough even to start a family. So I'm still stuck on the M25, but the reality is I'm well enough to be here. The only reason I am here is because I've been working today and I've given anything to have had this kind of day a few years ago. And when I do eventually get home, I'll get home to my wife and my two kids. That's what I can find that's positive in this situation. And the questions really, Simon, are a, a way of reframing and refocusing our thoughts in a specific way that helps us to stop and understand where we're at but then also to move on. And that's what I meant by fruity thinking. Yeah. And those questions are undoubtedly powerful. And, and I think that it's about taking what works for you, isn't it? And so you spoke about as the inner critic and then there's the, you can have the inner coach and the inner critic will always be there. It's just wants to keep us safe and keep us within the realms of what we know to be comfortable and everything like that. So, you know, we're always going to have doubting thoughts and whatever come up absolutely yeah and so i suppose just my own different slightly different take on it is and this has come through my own experience you know i remember several years ago being stood on a tube platform and you know i was feeling quite down and i was really trying to change my thoughts so really battle my thoughts you know trying to flip a negative to a positive primarily and you know, that took a lot of energy. And I and I can distinctly remember the moment where it was just like, oh, I, I ran out of energy. I couldn't do it anymore. And and I just sort of collapsed. And I don't mean I literally collapsed, but but internally, I, and I just sort of surrendered to this, to this feeling down. And so fast forward several years. And as you know, like my philosophy is, is very much around 
acceptance. So for me, it's like, actually, if, if, if you, and, and I know you like this one about, you know, we're not our thoughts, we're aware of our thoughts. For me, it's, it's like recognizing that a thought is a thought, irrespective of its content. So in Buddhist terms, they say, you know, we tend to cling to and chase after thoughts that we like and resist thoughts that we don't like. If you just sort of think of a thought as a thought, irrespective of its content, some are more sticky than others, should we say, but just can let them all go. And then actually, you know, it's for me, it saves a lot of energy and not needing to change the content of thought. And actually, you can you can just stand back and sometimes you're like, blimey, this is cobblers. That's not to say the questions aren't useful. And I totally agree. Like for me, you know, I'll often I've in the last few months said, you know, are you going to care about this in a couple of weeks to to, you know, someone someone very close to me. But for me personally, that sort of acceptance and then even down to, you, you know, you're being in the car and I, that was a lovely reframe. But for me as well, even in that situation, it's like it's a pure acceptance of what is. So when you were ill and or when I would, you know, had difficult moments of feeling down, you know, our natural reaction is to resist that and to want it to be different. And the same goes for a traffic jam, doesn't it? This shouldn't be happening. You're having an argument essentially with reality. It's like arguing with the weather, isn't it? Whereas if you can get in line with it of this is how it is. And therefore, I'm going to accept it how it is. And the only thing that's stopping me accepting it is those thoughts. And if I can just let them go, boom, everything's fine. It's, I mean, again, what was very interesting is when I reframed that situation on the M25 on a bank colony Friday, the traffic didn't suddenly, I didn't become Moses and see suddenly the parting of the traffic and suddenly I was home in the next hour. I think it was over seven hours before I got home. It's not a question of changing the reality. It's about changing my view of the reality and finding the positive. But for me, you know, when I used that phrase earlier on, you don't cut the hedge with the lawnmower. In other words, there's lots of different tools in your toolkit. And in the Sumo book, I have gone down the line, more of the kind of like the CBT route. But also I would be very, you know, big fan of acceptance, commitment therapy and, you know, maybe sometimes rather than go, I'm going to listen to my inner coach and go, okay, hang on, what can I learn from this? What do I do differently? Sometimes I would say, I am noticing that I'm having the thought that. And also there's a, there's, there's, there's all these acronyms. So there's cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, there's acceptance commitment therapy or commitment training, ACT. But there's another one called DBT, and that is dialectical behavior therapy. And I think it brings together both our kind of outlooks, really. And dialectical behavior therapy is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. But what's different is it brings in the acceptance piece. But what the dialectical, in other words, almost like holding two opposite truths as being the same, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. And there's this sense in which with dialectical behavioral therapy, which is probably more for people who really feel emotions intensely, is feel those feelings, accept those feelings and look to see that you can still change. It's not just acceptance and nothing. It's accept, but also I want to change. And for me, I just think for in certain situations, you know, and I picked it up from one of your Instagram posts. Uh, I'm aware of my thoughts and I'm not my thoughts. Simon, that has helped me. And sometimes I don't go to my seven questions, but it's not either or. 
it's and both and and that's hopefully the richness of life is that we don't have to get i'm not getting too precious and pedantic about my but it's in sumo and i believe this it's like hey simon you've got a different view of the beach ball on things although actually you now realize oh actually although it's a bit different from your book you still think that my perspective has value and i'm going oh 100 percent do you know what i mean and it's it's just being flexible in our thinking really a bit more fluid in how we see things 100 percent. i completely agree and, and well there's a, a lovely zen quote i can't remember it again exactly but it's something like you're perfect as you are but you could also be a little bit better <laughs> love it we live in in a world of paradox there's so much paradox particularly when you really dig into things and it comes back to that you know embracing the gray so no listen i think you know we've come out from both sides and and like you say it, it it's made a lovely round beach ball with lots of beautiful colors on it right let's finish with <laughs> all right can i just say just two things in relation to that though just number one i've got this phrase make peace with paradox yeah. And also, someone said to me recently, what does it mean to be human? I went, we're all flawed beauty. Just thought I'd throw those in. I know I'm not a Zen Buddhist monk, but I'm a guy from Manchester, but I'll throw that one in anyway. Hey, listen, you're not far off it, Paul. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Ditch Doris Day. Do you want to take this one away? All right, so um, I won't sing it, but in, was it 1956, Alfred Hitchcock film, The Man Who Knew Too Much? And Doris Day sings, K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. K Sarah, Sarah. Um, Beautiful. All right. Okay. okay. All right. You've just lost a few <laughs> listeners, but hey ho, let's shut up and move on. And, and I suppose what I wanted to do with that was just, and again, ditch Doris Day. It's like, what's that about? But I am for being a little bit quirky, a bit different, try and be memorable, make my stuff, get people to stop and think, what do you mean by that? Fruity thinking, hippo time, beach ball, ditch Doris Day. And, and that was this sense in which, you know, well, do we want to just say, even for climate change? Well, you know, whatever will be, will be. And... Kids who've gone through the pandemic and the consequences of Brexit and a war in Ukraine and like, well, you know what? It's just not all you can do. Whatever will be, will be. I'm saying that we can't control our future. I get that. But maybe there's a perspective that goes, the future isn't a place you get to. It's a place you get to create. It's a place you get to shape to some extent. And if you're just going passively rather than proactively through life, just simply saying, case Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. I think I can understand that outlook on occasions because there are things out of our control and we just need to acknowledge that, let it go. I won't sing that song. But maybe there's other times when you go, well, no, I'm not going to accept the status quo on climate change. I'm not going to accept that our kids are the lost generation because of all they've gone through. We are going to do stuff to make things happen. We're going to ditch Doris Day. Yes. I mean, I don't know whether I'd agree that the, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the film, whether she was advocating passivity necessarily. And of course, like, like we said earlier, in terms of creating opportunities for yourself, for me, it's more about the taking the action and trying to make things happen than where you end up because as i said in my own in my own experience yeah. you know I, where i was pushing 
to go to hasn't ended up being where I, the direction I've taken. And actually, you know, what I thought I wanted is not actually yeah. as satisfying as what I've has come my way thus far and seems to be increasingly happening. So I suppose my only pushback on this really is around this idea of, okay, yeah, we can create it, but you know, people I think get hung up and I certainly did on five-year plans and all that jazz. And the same happened to you early in your career, you know, uh, with ME and everything like that. And it ended up being a blessing and taking you off on this hugely rewarding path that, that you've been on, you know, working with the likes of Man City and doing the, the talks you do and being in such high demand, etc. Yeah, and, totally. Um, so for yeah. me, I suppose, you know, letting go of that five-year plan has been very freeing. And totally. someone came up with a nice quote, a previous guest, it, it's more about a continual unfolding. And, and I think of the quotes of people like Steve Jobs. And he said, you know, somewhere within us, you know, our heart already knows what we want to become. And, and so for me, what in my experience I've learned is around tapping into your intuition and seeing where it takes you. It's almost like, what does life want to do through you? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't, of course, take action to do what we believe to be right. What it does mean, though, is we can't know whether something that at the time seems to be bad or good is either bad or good. Mm. And, and also where we'll end up will invariably be very different from what we hoped. And actually, if we, if we hope too much, we're limiting ourselves. That's kind of my point. Yeah, I and again, we're going to have to agree, Simon, even though you thought there might be some kickback. I think for me, do I set many goals? Not really, but I have a compass, if you like. And the yes, compass yes. is the direction, the general direction I yes. want to go into. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your values, I think it's good to be clear on what your values are and what's important yeah. to you. But yeah, you mentioned I work with Manchester City. It wasn't a goal. It wasn't something I was trying to create someone read Sumo and gave it to their brother, who happened to be head of player care and support at Manchester City. He loved it, got in touch, and from 2010 up until the pandemic, in one way or another, I was involved with Manchester City Football Club. There on the very day when they won the league title after 44 years of trying... Um, got together with the players, with staff, with with even some of the families of some of the players and some of the staff. Was that a goal? Was that a dream? No, it wasn't. Although if you'd said to me a few years ago, would you love to do that? Yeah. How could I see it happening? I couldn't see it happening. But I did this talk for a, a, literally a group of police, um, Manchester, um, Greater Manchester Police, and the person who was working there, it was her brother who worked at Man City. So I've learned also... Um, that I do want to push doors. I did want to write a book for kids. Now, I want it to have sold 100,000 copies, and it's it's getting on for about 20,000 so far, so we've still got quite a way to go. But what I've realised is, and I think there may be a point you're making, is I've become less attached to what the actual outcome will be. Because if I'm saying I'll be happy when it sold 100,000 copies, I may never be happy. And then I know actually when it does sell 100,000 copies, hopefully it will at some stage over time um i probably won't realize i'm still won't be happy i want it to do 200,000 etc so but i still think there's that sense of yeah i've maybe it's not just the future as a place we get to create but the future's flexible and and sometimes doors open that we weren't even pushing you know i got on the chris evans radio show well i wasn't pushing for that but that happened i got on bbc breakfast news i wasn't pushing it happened and so i do live not with this sense of i've got to make it all happen and it's all down to me 
I'm learning and I'm still a, a, a process. I'm learning that it isn't always up to me, that it isn't always about making things happen. Sometimes it is letting things happen and just being available and open to some opportunities that come your way that you haven't created, but they have suddenly appeared. Absolutely. It's like meeting life halfway, isn't it? You need to do your bit. You need to... Yeah, that's a great phrase. Have the bravery to not listen to the inner critic, to step into uncomfortable feelings and knock on doors and all those things we've spoken about. And then often life will surprise you, like opening the, the door to Manchester City, just as they go from god-awful to fantastic. I think I think some investment financially also helped. I wouldn't like to take much credit for what I did with them. Paul, I think you, you played a big part in their success. <laughs> Let's not underplay it. Anyway, listen, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to exchange, you know, a number of messages over the last couple of years. And I've, you know, always enjoyed our often brief just bits of communication. And it's, it's, it's lovely. You know, I think this is perhaps even relates to what we're talking about. It's, it's you know, I didn't, set up this podcast to develop friendships or connections and that kind of thing but it's been such a nice byproduct of it so to chat through your work um, and really you know bring the beach ball to good use has been a real pleasure so i'll tell you what two years been well worth the wait from my point of view <laughs> well that's great and it's been mine as well and um, we're not here to do we a mutual appreciation society. But part of the reason I contacted you, and I remember looking at my original message I sent to you two years ago, was to say, love to send you a copy of my book. Uh, and as a thank you for all the life lessons that we've all been learning through your guests, but also through your insights. So it is a thank you. It is a privilege to be asked by you. I, I do appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. And um, I hope maybe some of what I've said adds value um, in the way that your previous guests have added value to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas Bien, Bien Podcasts. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish. But you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls. 
or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast, so everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chisme Ajeno too. A section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos a hacer tus nuevas amigas. We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>